0: "'and she had resumed her scrubbing before she heard something else. "'Not the uneven gait of the departing brewery man, "'but the quick, light step of someone she instinctively knew was different. "'It was an iron rule at the stag and crown "'that none of the female servants were allowed to look customers in the face.' "'This was because Edith's stepmother was quite sure that it led to nonsense, "'and Mrs. Hanson always said that any nonsense from Edith or anyone else "'and they would all end up in the workhouse "'along with a great many of the others who had been dismissed from her service. "'The continuous threat of the workhouse hung over the stag and crown "'in the same way as an early summer haze had hung over the park that morning, "'except that unlike the summer haze, "'it never lifted to reveal beauty or serenity.' only fear and panic. Nor was Edith, despite being the only daughter of the owner, able to escape it. She too felt the shadow of it, the fact of it, its cold welcome always waiting, almost a certainty, almost a reality, to those who did not work hard enough or long enough, who were impertinent or did not realise their good fortune in being employed by Mrs. Hanson at the Stag and Crown.' But fast as all the servants ran and hard as they all worked, it seemed that Mrs. Hanson could never ever be content. Edith had long ago recognised that contentment was not in her stepmother's make-up. It was not part of her nature. There was no doubt at all, at least in Edith's mind, that if her stepmother ever had the misfortune to find herself feeling happy, she would very likely lose her reason.' It would mean that she had nothing about which to inwardly rage, about which to become hourly infuriated or constantly irritated. It would mean that her husband and sons, not to mention her stepdaughter, would lose their fear of her. It would mean that she would have to appreciate everyone's efforts to make her happy, instead of drawing attention to herself by her constant demands. If she were happy and content, her life would be meaningless.' On the other hand, in sharp contrast to her own open discontent, Mrs. Hanson always seemed to be on a mission to make sure that everyone else realised their own good fortune. "'The sooner you recognise how sinful and ugly you are, the sooner you will content yourselves with what God has given you, and the more gratefully you will accept your lot in life,' she would say to Edith and the other maid servants. "'which often had the unfortunate effect of making some of them so downhearted "'that they left the stag and crown and took up other occupations, "'the most popular being prostitution. "'Walking the streets for a living brought in quick money, "'but all too often an early death. "'Little wonder, therefore, that as the early morning visitor to the inn "'paused by her metal bucket,' Edith had no trouble keeping her eyes bent on the bright, clean tiles she had only seconds before scrubbed back to their original blue and green and white and cream glory. "'I hope I am not too late for a good breakfast,' the visitor said to the hall at large. Edith kept her eyes cast dutifully down, staring now at the visitor's beautifully shod feet. "'They were the slender feet of a gentleman, and what was more and what was better?' They were not muddy, so they were not ruining her precious floor, but actually enhancing it. They were a May morning of a pair of feet, and they were very welcome to her floor. I said, I hope I am not too late for a good breakfast, hmm? Edith, knowing that Mrs. Hanson was never around in the early hours of the old inn's busy day, slowly lifted her head, and found that the face into which she now dared to look was as unusual as the feet at which she had been staring moments before. It was a startlingly handsome face, and this, despite the fact that it was bearded. Any facial hair, even side whiskers, was, in the view of persons such as Edith's father and his friends, synonymous with a lazy sort of fellow, a fellow who did not or would not make time of a morning to use a proper cutthroat razor. Facial hair was only worn by men who would harbour ideas ideas to which her father's customers would be about as attracted as they would be to fleas in a cat. Worse than that, they made a gentleman look foreign. Looking up from her kneeling position on the floor, Edith was so distracted by the fascination of his face, which was almost too handsome for its own good, that, quite against her will, she found herself staring at him for far too long, just as earlier she had stared at the deer moving quietly around her in the park. "'Perhaps everything might have been all right "'if the visitor had not widened his eyes. "'And if those same dark brown eyes "'had not travelled over Edith's still, slender, childish figure, "'and if he had not put out a hand to her shoulder "'and tapped on it with some authority, forcing her to respond. "'Stand up. Do,' he commanded. "'And then he gently placed a hand under Edith's chin "'and moved her face from one side to the other.' "'murmuring over and over again. "'Stunning!' "'He held her chin in his gloved fingers with such confidence "'that Edith felt it was not the first time he had done such a thing. "'Finally, he let go of her face with evident reluctance "'and turned towards the main room where breakfast was still being served.' "'letting out a sigh of such huge contentment "'that Edith felt she could have been some sort of buried treasure "'he had come across while out walking, "'which must now be put aside "'in favour of a more practical consideration, such as eating. "'The moment was over, thankfully unobserved by anyone else, "'and he went into breakfast without saying more, "'taking off his gloves and rubbing his hands together "'at the smell of the bacon cooking "'and the sight of the kedgery and the ptarmigan "'and every other dish laid out for the delectation of their customers.' Edith returned to her floor-scrubbing with renewed vigour. She knew the stranger should not have touched her, and yet she could not help feeling glad that he had. The truth was, her father being distant and unaffectionate to a degree, no man had touched her since she was quite small and her grandfather was still alive. She suspected that it would have meant nothing to the elegant, bearded gentleman, and yet, much against her will she could not help realising that it meant a great deal to her. Normally, she did not appreciate her father's customers. They might be conventionally dressed, but they had the upsetting habit of running their fingers over whatever part of Edith's body they could safely reach without attracting attention to themselves. "'It is no one's fault but your own if a customer takes liberties,' Mrs. Hanson was fond of saying to the girls with a strange, cruel little smile. Her expression at those moments was the very opposite of the look that so often came over her face when she was speaking of the Almighty. That expression was always one of proud complacency. Mrs. Hansen believed in God, and she followed Christian practice, attending every service at nearby St. Peter's, whether it was for the churching of women or the burying of customers. She was certain that she was protected, not just by the success of her husband's thriving business, or the excellence of the brewer's ale, but also by the unseen approbation of God. This unshakable belief in God's approval left her free to behave exactly as she wished once she had stepped outside the portals of the great grey church that dominated the end of the road. So... "'It was with the memory of her stepmother's voice "'proclaiming the guilt of any servant "'who allowed a customer to take liberties "'that Edith returned to her work, "'scrubbing with all the renewed energy "'of a prisoner determined on reducing a life sentence. "'She had just reached the last large square tile "'when she again heard his voice. "'Would you mind turning round for me, Miss... "'Edith started to turn.' But as she did so, she heard the familiar swish of the silken-skirted Mrs. Hansen approaching, and her stepmother's equally silken voice, saying, in the tone she always used for customers, "'May I be of help, sir?' "'You certainly can, ma'am,' Edith heard the man's voice asserting, as she turned back to her bucket and cloths. "'You most certainly can. You can tell me who this beautiful girl might be.' He pointed across the tiled hall. "'Yes,' And you can tell me how she comes to be employed in this dreadful fashion, cleaning floor tiles on her hands and knees, when paintings of her face and form should be adorning the walls of every house in the kingdom. Who could that be, I wonder? Of whom could you be speaking, sir? I see no beautiful creature, sir. I see only a young maid and her bucket. Mrs. Hanson's voice was rising in amazement. And although Edith did not look at either of them, she felt quite sure that her stepmother must have been staring across at her as if she were some sort of necessary evil, like the leavings from the kitchens which were always donated to the local hospital. "'That beautiful young creature over there cannot be a maid, ma'am. She is surely an angel, sent down to remind us of paradise.' "'But you can't mean that person, surely?' Mrs. Hanson pointed at Edith, who had finally finished cleaning her last tile, and was standing up, preparing to pick up her bucket and scuttle off towards the busy, teeming kitchens. You can't mean that person.